Ladies and gentlemen, the time is finally here. This is Under the Sun, the unofficial podcast of the Sun Belt Conference. My name is TJ O'Sullivan. I'm joined by Kyle Nashheim, and it is bowling time. Bowl season right around the corner. The first games start this week, and we are going tomorrow. To, yeah, exactly tomorrow, and we're going to tell you about every matchup that will be happening for Sun Belt teams that are bowling. We've got seven of them. So in this episode, we're going to be going around the sun as always. We'll be giving you a basketball update, and then we will dive right into bowl season. But now let me introduce you to my partner in crime, Kyle Nashon. Kyle, we've got bowl season, and I know I've said it so many times, but I, I, I'm so excited that we've got some bowls to talk about now. Seven Sunbelt teams. And we've said that a lot, too. But seven Sunbelt teams, half the conference going bowling. James Madison could uh, be considered a quote-unquote bowl-eligible team. Um, And then App State uh, as well. So, you know, we had such a good year in the conference this year. What one thing stood out to you if you can pick? Ooh, uh, are you talking about just in bowl season or just in the entire season in general? Just in the entire season in general. And I definitely put you on the spot here, but you know, what, what one thing stood out to you in terms of, you know, it could just be the football season as a whole, a particular matchup. Um, but you know, this is kind of like the finale for football this, uh, uh, in this podcast. So I just wanted to sort of get into what you thought was specifically vital to this season? Well, um, I would say first and foremost, you have all the new teams coming in, um, breathing. I don't want to say new life into the conference because the conference was uh, thriving beforehand. It just made it better. Um, The the storylines coming out of it, Grayson McCall, is he going to get uh, winning his third straight player of the year? Uh, Gunnar Watson basically proving that he was on that day better than Grayson McCall in a conference championship. Uh, Southern Miss coming out of nowhere to get a ball game. Uh, App State not being – like go from being beating Texas A&M to not making a ball game. Like that was shocking, but the fact that they scheduled two FCS teams, they did that to themselves. You know, they they won the games they were supposed to, but unfortunately, they needed one more. Um, you know, the coaching, you know, the coaching staffs, the job Jamie Chadwell did, of course, with his past season with all the injuries, all the uh, new blood on defense, uh, can't. Can't be overstated. Um, I want to say uh, the coach at Troy. His, you're, you're you're going to correct me on his name, but you know, John in Summerall. his first season, John Summerall. Yeah. So coaching his first season at Troy, losing a heartbreaking game to App, App State in a hail mary fashion. That didn't define their season. That was the catalyst for their season all the way to the Sun Belt Championship. But here's an interesting stat, okay, because you know me, and you know I'm going to find interesting stats, okay? Yeah, I know. 
Okay, so you said there were seven teams bowling, okay? Yep. So in the Sunbelt Conference's first season sponsoring football in 2001, they had seven teams total. Look at how the growth has just, I mean, just look at that growth. I mean, you know, the conference is 21 years old. Went from seven teams total to seven teams bowling after they just added four teams. You know, I, I'm I'm extremely happy. But we, you know, the one thing that I wanted to bring up, you know, talking about storylines. You know, we could talk about individual performances too. I mean, mm-hmm. take a look at Kalen Laburn, a thousand rushing yes. yards through seven games. Uh, you you could talk about Carter Bradley leading a team. Uh, South Alabama, who's sto- historically not great at football, ten win season in their uh, in in this season. You know they they were they were ranked at one point. Um, you know that that's a beautiful storyline as well. Uh, Southern uh, Southern Miss uh, coming to a new conference, and now they're going bowling, and and they shocked a lot of teams. Almost pulled off the upset on Coastal Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. You know and. Of course, Carlton Marshall becoming the NCAA career leader in tackles. Um, and you pointed out to me after the show that uh, I, I said sacks when we were talking to Gunnar Watson, <laughs> and I was uh, a little upset about that. But um, I, yeah, I mean, but what an accomplishment by Carlton Marshall, and just what a what what a season for the Sun Belt. And I think it's safe to say they are the premier Group of Five conference. Um, Absolutely. Potentially the the Sunbelt East being one of the most competitive uh, conferences in all of college football. Didn't I say when we first started this podcast that the Sunbelt East was the third best division in college in FBS? You did 100 percent. And um, I'm, I'm just curious, are there any lies detected? I don't know. I'd have to break down every division in in, uh, in, in college football, but, but I think um, but, you're on but, the right track. So my, my thing mean, is, is, well, well, here's the thing, because you know when people talk about uh, dominant divisions, like you could say the West was a dominant division. You had two teams, seven and one, but the bottom of the conf- of that division was kind of lackluster. You had a situation where three or four teams probably as late in the season as week 10, week 11, who could have won the uh, Sunbelt East. And, and James Madison would have won it if it wasn't for their transition from FCS. So, I mean, obviously the um, uh, Big Ten uh, North East and the SEC West are obviously head and tails uh, division-wise in 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 FBS, but I think the SEC uh, Sun Belt East now with James Madison eligible next year. Oh, it's if if you go into a season not knowing who can win it, you have a good division. I agree one hundred percent. But before we get too deep into football, because we've got a lot of it to talk about. We're going to go and take a look at some women's volleyball. We'll take a look at some men's soccer as that wrapped up, some indoor track and field, and some other conference news from around the Sun Belt. So 
without further ado, I'm going to pass it off to Kyle, and he's going to take us for a trip around the sun. All right, well, this is going to be the last segment we talked about women's volleyball in action. Southern Miss defeated Western Carolina 3-2 in the National Invitational Volleyball Championship quarterfinals, but the Magic Carpet ride ended in Boston College dropping a 3-1 decision to the Eagles. Southern Miss ended the season with a 21-12 record. Congratulations to the Lady Eagles. The AVCA All-Region teams came out. Two members of the Sun Belt were named honorable mentions in the Southeast region with uh, Majet Bedman of James Madison and Sophie Davis of James Madison getting honorable mentions. Uh, Emily DeWalt and Janelle Fitzgerald of Texas State were named to the Southwest region All-Region teams. Men's soccer, the college sports communicators, academic All-American teams were announced. Uh, first team, Louis Grasso from Kentucky and Ben Damage from Kentucky. Congratulations to them. Second team, Aaron Dink Garcia from West Virginia. Simon Carlson from Georgia State. Dion Drummers from West Virginia. And Tristan Jamu from Georgia State. United Soccer Coaches All-American teams also came out. Goalkeeper Casper Malls, Luis Grasco, and each tour by Golfson from Kentucky made the first team. Milo Yosef from Marshall made the second team. Door track and field, Arkansas State participated in the Boo Ridgers Rogers combined events and Crimson and Gold Invitational. Colby Adals shattered the school heptathlon record totaling 5,703 points. Marshall hosted Moorhead State this past weekend. Micah Elaine broke the 300-meter school record with a time of 38.44 seconds. Macy Majoy recorded a new school record with a 3.98-meter jump on the pole vault. And some more conference news. Football All-American teams, the Football Writers Association of America, Landed James Henderson from Old Dominion and Mylon Tucker, kick returner from Appalachian State, on their second teams of All-Americans. And a scheduling update for future football opponents. James Madison signed a home-and-home contracts with Utah State in Miami of Ohio. The Dukes will host Utah State in 2025 and Miami of Ohio in 2028. And before I send it back to you, I just want to sit here and say uh, he did not do, do any coaching in the Sun Belt, but we have to send our thoughts and our prayers to the family of Mike Leach, uh, Mississippi State, Texas Tech, Washington State, and fans all over the college football world. Uh, we were shocked to find out that he was hospitalized this past weekend. He passed away Monday night at the age of 61. Uh, his air raid offense changed a lot of teams in college football. And when you have a coach like uh, Nick Saban say, I enjoyed his conversations and I never knew what he's going to talk about, that's high praise. So, uh, um, TJ, uh, what's your thoughts on the legacy that Mike Leach left us? Well, I mean – Obviously, a legend in the college football landscape. Um, he is, you know, I, I was shocked to find out the news. I was not aware of um, 
the uh, you know, I, I knew that he had some um, some some medical um, things going on, but I I was shocked to hear that he uh, that that you know at, he he passed on and thoughts and prayers as we said to his family. Um, he's going to be missed. I mean, like you said, his his offense uh, shaped the programs of of a lot of teams out there, and and you know he. I, I don't know. I'm I'm lost for words. That that news came out um, either Monday night or Tuesday morning, and and um, yeah, it was it was it was it was Tuesday morning when I found out. And uh, just reading some of the uh, tweets, like um, Sonny Dykes, who's the head coach of TCU, came out of a Mike Leach system. So Mike Leach is definitely going to be represented in the college football playoff with Sonny Dykes and TCU. Well, like we said, thoughts and prayers to his family and and all of those affected by that loss. Uh, he will be st- dearly missed in in the uh, the college football world. But now, let's move on to our Sun Belt Conference basketball update. Starting with the men's Air Force defeated Arkansas State eighty to fifty five sixteen. Arkansas State turnovers led to 23 Air Force points and was the difference maker. UNC Greensboro defeated Marshall 75-67. Tavion Kinsey continued his great season with 24 points and 6 assists. Due to a delay in the recording, we weren't able to predict these two games. They happened yesterday. Wake Forest defeated App State 67-66. First meeting since 2006, they increased their series lead to 21 to nothing. Wake Forest has never lost to App State. Mountaineers, 14 fouls led to Wake Forest going 10 and 13 from the charity strike. 10 of 13, excuse me. Number 19, Auburn, defeated Georgia State 72-64. Auburn improved to 7-1 in the series and prevented the Panthers from their first win in the series since 2003. The Panthers actually led 31-28 at halftime, but their 25 fouls sent the Tigers to the line 30 times, converting 19 attempts. Southern Miss had a 10-1 start to the season. That's tied for their fifth best start before losing their second game in school history. This is their best start in a season since the 2013-2014 season, though all of those wins were later vacated. Coastal men's basketball coach Cliff Ellis notched his 900th coaching victory. Congratulations to Coach Ellis. He is the fourth most winningest coach in Division I basketball. College Basketball Insider Mid-Major Top 25 Update. Louisiana, who is 8-1 on the season, moved up one spot to 6th on the list. Southern Miss, 10-1, moved up 6 spots. They are now seated at the 12th spot. Marshall, who is 9-2 on the season, moved up to number 14 prior to their loss to UNC Greensboro. James Madison, 8-3 on the season. They are seated at 22. And Texas State received 12 votes and was the only other Sun Belt team to receive votes in this latest poll. Player of the week for the men, Tavion Kinsey out of Marshall. As we said, in their game against 
UNC Greensboro. He had 24 points and six assists. He is averaging 22.5 points per game, six assists and 5.5 rebounds uh, to go with 2.5 steals in wins over Duquesne and Robert Morris. This is his second player of the week award. Moving over to the women's side. Tulane defeated Troy 103 to 100 in double overtime. After leading by three at halftime, both teams traded blowout quarters. Tulane took the lead on the back of a 33 to 12 third quarter. Troy rebounded to outscore the Green Wave 29 to 11 in the fourth to send it to overtime. Troy dominated the offensive boards. 30 offensive boards to Tulane's 16, but Tulane ultimately comes out with the victory. Alabama defeated Southern Miss 56-47. The Lady Eagles lost despite converting 16 offensive rebounds into 17 second-chance points. Auburn also defeated Louisiana 81-41. The Tigers pulled away by outscoring the Raging Cajuns 21-3 in the third quarter. Louisiana was held to just 12.5% from behind the three-point line. Number 21-ranked Arkansas defeated Arkansas State 77-63 in the in-state rivalry. The Razorbacks won despite being held to 21.4% from beyond the arc. The Red Wolves were charged two technical fouls in the contest. Coastal Carolina, just tonight on the night of recording on Thursday, dominated Erskine 83-24, largely due to the Shawnaclears holding Erskine to just two points in the first quarter. All but one player on the Shawnaclears had points. Leading the way was Miriam Ricarte with 13 points off the bench. Arkansas State fell to North Alabama on Thursday, 82-68. This is the Lions' first season being eligible for the NCAA tournament after its transition from Division I. Northwestern State defeated ULM on Saturday, 79-52. The Demons had 30 offensive rebounds and, oh, excuse me, 30 defensive rebounds and held ULM to 1-for-14 from beyond the three-point line. College basketball insider mid-major top 25 for the women. James Madison, 7-2 on the season, moved up to number 17. Old Dominion, 8-3 on the season. They entered the poll at number 19. Troy is 4-5 on the season. They dropped six spots to number 21. And Georgia Southern was the only other Sunbelt team to receive votes. They got two. Your player of the week for the women's Amari Young out of Old Dominion. She averaged 13.3 points per game and 8.3 rebounds per game in victories over Lincoln in Pennsylvania, VCU, and Norfolk State. And Kyle, that is your Sunbelt Conference basketball update. So now we got to go into predictions. Wait, hold on, hold on. Um, either I fell asleep through half of the entire episode or we're going through predictions now. Yeah, where have you been? We we just did the whole show. We're on the predictions. Did did I say anything good? <laughs> uh, was, we we got some stuff to work on. Um, but <laughs> no, <Damn> um, <laughs> we we decided that we're gonna start with basketball predictions this week 
because we've got seven games to predict in football and we're going to predict them as we go. We're going to give you a little insight about how the game is, how, how the two teams in each game stack up. And then we'll make our predictions at the end of each uh, football game segment, uh, if that makes sense. So we're going to, we're going to start with basketball, starting with the men's Toledo at Marshall. Toledo leads the series 38 to 23 in the all-time series. They lost to Toledo. Marshall did. They lost to Toledo 95 to 63 last season. Kyle, who do you have in that matchup? All right. So Toledo at Marshall. Toledo is currently seven to three on the season. Their only losses is to George Mason, which is always a dangerous team. East Carolina, and shockingly enough, Kansas City. No, not no, not the Chiefs. Um, but on the other hand, Marshall, you you have a player like uh, 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 Tavion Kinsey, just really doing damage to opponents. I think it's going to be a close. It's going to be closer than last season. But I have Toledo coming out. Just a, just a hair over Marshall. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think Marshall takes this one. Um, very competitive all-time series. You know, mm-hmm. they've they've played a total of 61 games. And in this 62nd game, I think that, as you said, Tavion Kinsey is having a heck of a season. He's in midseason form already. Um, I think that he's going to do some damage. Uh, he's going to drop um, – uh, over 20 points, and I think that Marshall takes this one. Yeah, I, I think the reason why that they uh, played so many is I think Marshall was a member of the uh, uh, MAC conference for quite a few years. So they, they played each other at least twice, maybe sometimes three times. So, but yeah, it's uh, it, it, I can see Marshall coming up with the upset. Uh, it's definitely going to be a lot closer than last year. I agree. Which brings us to our next game, Rhode Island at Georgia State. Rhode Island's 94-59 to victory last season gave them a 2-1 to series lead in the all-time series. Georgia State has dropped the last two games in the series after winning in December of 2011. So, Kyle, who you got? Well, so considering the fact that a member of the Sun Belt already has a victory over Rhode Island this season, they lost to Texas State by four in their second game of the season. And they are are what, four and seven right now, last place in the Atlantic 10. Uh, I'm going Georgia State. Yeah, you know, something wants me to go with Georgia State here. You know, they're they're the defending Sunbelt champions. Uh they, you know, they've had quite a um quite a season last year, but URI, you know, me me being from the Northeast, I just know that URI is a scrappy basketball team. Their defense is really good and this year's no different. Um I am going to give the edge to Rhode Island. Uh but it is going to be a closer game than a lot of people are expecting. 
Okay, I, I can I can definitely see that. Um, defensively, right now, Rhode Island leads the uh, is in second place in the conference, averaging thirty nine point three rebounds defensively. So, I, I can see Rhode Island if they continue to dominate the uh, defensive glass. That I can definitely see them defeating Georgia State. But let's let's go on to the next matchup. Um, College of Charleston travels to Conway to take on Coastal Carolina. Charleston leads the series 39 to 11, and this is their first meeting since December of 2018. That was a College of Charleston victory. So, TJ, does uh, Coastal uh, use its road victory over South Dakota to get into a winning streak by defeating Charleston? Well, I'll tell you, you know, you know, obviously you and I alumni of uh, Coastal Carolina. Cliff Ellis has a really tough time beating Charleston. It It is, you know, Charleston is one of those teams that they're just on the outside of, um, of the, uh, the tournament or the NIT, depending on um, mm-hmm. what year it is, uh, just about every year. They're always competitive. They always give you a game. Um, I think that there was a lot of pressure to get Cliff Ellis, his 900th win. Um, but I honestly, I I don't see coastal winning this game. I think that they're going to fall asleep a little bit in the, uh, in the, uh, the hangover from the, um, from the celebration for, uh, coach Ellis. Uh, I I'm going to pick Charleston on this one. Well, here's an interesting thing. So you, you say, that they, they may be a little um, asleep after getting Cliff Ellis's 900th win. I'm going to have to disagree with you on that scenario because they went into South Dakota. Granted, South Dakota, not a powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination, but a true road game across the country, and they won by one. So... I, I don't think they're going to fall asleep at the wheel because if 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 they were, that would have been the game because you you go from winning their uh, his 900th game, now you got to travel across two time zones to play South Dakota, a place you've never been before, and that not only did they win, they won in such a close fashion that it builds confidence with within the team. So you know what. I think we are going to be either one of us is going to look smart in this. I'm picking coastal. Well, it's, what I, it's, it's going to be close. Well, what I will say is that, you know, the, the, the games of the past that I've seen coastal and uh, Charleston play, uh, it all comes down to rebounding. So if Assam mm-hmm. Mustafa can dominate the boards, then I think the coastal has a chance, but I think Charleston is just, they that that's a really good program they've got over there. So it's going to be an interesting game either way. So now we move over to the women. Marshall at South Florida series is tied at one and one all time. Marshall won the first ever meeting in January of 1987. Their first meeting since 95 is going to be happening this week. Kyle, South Florida or Marshall? So South Florida is currently nine and three. 
they have a upset victory over then 22nd ranked Texas, uh, beat TCU, beat Georgia Tech, barely lost to then 22nd ranked Michigan, uh, lost to Villanova. Uh, like I said, their, their only losses on the season are to uh, NC State, Michigan, and Villanova, all teams that were ranked at the time they defeated uh, South Florida. Um, I I think it's going to be South Florida, and to be honest, I don't think it's going to be close. Yeah, you might as well put me down for South Florida as well for all the same reasons. Um, I apologize to uh, – West Virginia, but I think this year you got to be relying on the men. Um, this is uh, this is a really good season for the Marshall uh, men's team, but uh, women still have a couple things to figure out. Uh, mm-hmm. Which brings us to App State at number seventeen, Michigan. Series record is tied at one and one. Their first meeting since twenty nineteen, and it's kind of kind of a rivalry due to football as everybody knows about the uh the the app state upset um but oh yeah i'm i'm gonna go ahead and and just start us off i think that michigan is gonna take this one uh they are they they are just too good this year so um kyle i'll just pass it off to you i don't really have much else to say (laughs) well let's put it this way in the gulf coast showcase they dominated air force Dominated South Florida, beat a ranked Baylor team, and then in an ACC Big Ten Challenge, beat Miami, won their first conference game against Northwestern. They were number 14 in the nation, according to the AP poll. But then they lost to Toledo, 71-68. to They were coming off their first loss of the season, and – and before, you know, after this game, they played number seven, North Carolina. So they may be looking ahead, but I agree with you. A Michigan team coming off a loss, especially in basketball, when they were undefeated, is a dangerous thing. And that's going to bring us to our final basketball game of this episode, Old Dominion at Mississippi State in their first ever meeting. Kyle, I'll start with you. All right. Mississippi State hasn't really played a grueling non-conference schedule. They do have a dominant victory over ULM, but they have lost two times this season, once to South Dakota State, which in women's basketball is – isn't as big of a shock in as it would be in men's because South Dakota State has been very good, and they lost to Nebraska in overtime. Old Dominion coming into this game, not really. Uh, I mean, they're they're doing decent. I, I guess you want to say they are. I'm sorry, they are eight and three. Um, but as much as I want to give uh, Old Dominion the love, it's Whereas in, in men's basketball, you have um, – it's up in the air. In women's, it's not as much. I got Mississippi State. Well, you got to look at Old Dominion a little bit closer here. I mean, they're winning they, – they've won six straight games. Um, they've got a win over uh, – in their, in, in their recent um, game 
uh, against Norfolk State. They won 65 to 44. They beat VCU. They beat uh, Lincoln in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, and they beat Temple. I think that this is a really good old Dominion team this year, but they're about to go up against an SEC women's basketball team. And I think that that is something that you have to consider. So I do have the Lady Bulldogs. And uh, I think before we end this basketball segment, as I was uh, looking up on ESPN, you know, getting getting this information and these stats, um, we have an epic fail of the season so far. Oh, do we? We do. And that is Texas State on Tuesday. The men's basketball team lost 71 to 65 to Mary Harden Baylor. All right. And you're probably asking yourself, who is Mary uh, Harden Baylor? They are a Division Three team. Oh, boy. So Texas State, their next game is, I believe, Saturday against Sam Houston. Those practices are probably very intense right now. Yeah, I I wouldn't doubt it. I you know that's like we like we say for football. That's a, that's a money game, and uh, just could not get the job done. But that is all we've got for basketball. So we are going to get into our final segment of predicting football games like we said we're going to give you a little bit of insight on each game we're going to go in order in which they are playing so kyle i will let you take it away for our first bowl game on the docket all right thank you so much and this is a bowl game that is definitely near and dear to both of our hearts tj you were down there last year calling the game for wcc radio it is the cure bowl Sponsored this year by Duluth Trading Company, uh, sees Conference USA champion Texas San Antonio taking on the Sunbelt champion Troy Trojans. This is the first ever meeting between these two schools. Uh, Texas and San Antonio making their fourth bowl appearance. They are 0-3. Troy making their ninth bowl appearance. They are 5-3 and, and currently on a four-game bowl winning streak. Their last bowl loss was to Central Michigan in the 2009 GMAC Bowl. But Troy is 0-1 against ranked teams in bowl games. That Central Michigan game being the being the 0-1. Texas uh, San Antonio is ranked number 22 in the nation. ESPN matchup predictor has uh, UTSA. Uh, with a 56% chance of winning it. Well, the one thing that jumps out at you with both of these teams, and we're going to give you a little, a little bit of a, um, a, a briefing on UTSA because you guys know about Troy. We've been talking about Troy all season. Uh, but the one thing that sticks out to you when you look at these two teams, look at the, the games they won and the games that they lost, they have the exact same season. Both Troy and UTSA won, or excuse me, lost their first game, won their second game, lost their third, 
and then went on a 10-game winning streak. UTSA, starting September 24th, they have not lost since September 17th against number 21 Texas at the time. Um, They are the Conference USA champions, defeating North Texas on December 2nd. And taking a look at this roster, some of the leaders on this Roadrunner squad, quarterback Frank Harris, he's having a heck of a season, Uh, 3,865 passing yards. He's got 31 touchdowns, uh, seven picks, which is something to be concerned about going up against a uh, a really good uh, Troy defense. But all the, nonetheless, he's having a really good season and a 71.1% completion rating. These are Grayson McCall numbers right now. So, but he's also he is also a dangerous runner. He is amassed 500. 500- 88 yards in an additional nine rushing touchdowns. So responsible for 40 on the year. So now we're getting into, we're getting close into the, uh, the Lamar Jackson uh, territory in terms of uh, touchdowns responsible for. So dual threat quarterback pair that with Kevorian Barnes, the running back. He's got 713 yards on the season. He's got six touchdowns. Brendan Brady, another running back who has 699 yards on the season and nine touchdowns, and then another nine touchdowns from Frank Harris, as we already said. So three guys that you got to look out for on the ground. Looking at the receiving core, they've got two guys who are either over or just about at 1,000 yards. Zakari Franklin, Wide receiver, no, uh, he's got 86 receptions for 1,100 yards, uh, 14 touchdowns. He's got he's he's averaging uh, over a touchdown a game. And Joshua Cephas, who's got 985 yards and another six touchdowns. So this is, I think, a much better offense than Troy. And I'm saying that after we just watched them decimate Coastal Carolina. But Coastal Carolina's defensive secondary has been having problems all year. I think that this is going to be a really good matchup between a really good offense and a really good defense. The strengths are going up against each other. The weaknesses are going up against each other. So I think that this is going to be a really tight game. Yeah, I agree with you. And like you're talking about the ground game with 24 rushing touchdowns, just with three guys, uh, this is a ground game that hits two has hit 200 yards in five of its last six games, and a passing attack that has thrown for over 220 yards in every game this season except a blowout over Rice. This is something this Troy defense is going to have to deal with, and also when they get into third down uh, conversions, they are 50 percent. Unconverting for third down, that is that is a dangerous team. When you are converting half of your third downs, you know that Troy defense is going to have to put them in situations where they're third and five, third and six, third and seven, and you know not only that, like their offense, they average four hundred and eighty-six yards a game. Troy only gives up three twenty-five. 
So something is going to have to give. Uh, UTSA typically gives up 400 in their defense. That's a little less than what Troy normally does. So Troy can – I think this is going to be an offensively heavy game, but UTSA has proven that they can score quickly, and Troy has proven they can score quickly as well. So now we got to get into our prediction for this game. I will start things off this time. And okay. you got to look at, you know, we, we just, I, I just noted, you know, the fact that these two teams have the exact same season, basically. They're both conference champions, they're both 11 and 2 on the year. Um, UTSA is 8 and 0 in conference. Uh, which is more than we can say about Troy, who went seven and one. Um, but look at the notable wins for UTA, uh, UTSA. Or actually, let's start with notable games. Okay, the first three weeks of the season, they go up against number twenty-four Houston, number twenty-one Texas. They lost in triple overtime to Houston to start the year. They lost 37 to 35. Two weeks later, up against number 21 Texas, they lose 41 to 20. And in in that game where they ended up getting pretty handily defeated, uh, Frank Harris only had tw- 222 passing yards. And that is kind of a theme. You'll notice that the scores get closer depending on Frank Harris's uh, performance. Um 273 passing yards against Western Kentucky and Western Kentucky uh, ended up losing that game, but only by three points, Uh, 238 yards uh, for Frank Harris in their win against North Texas, their first win on October 22nd. uh, That was a four point game, 285 yards the next week at UAB. They get the win but it's in double overtime, 44 to 38. So this game is going to come down to whether or not Frank Harris can produce. And I'm telling you right now, Troy is one of the best defenses in the nation. So my pick is going to be Troy. They have to shut down Frank Harris. And I think that this is a really talented Roadrunners team. This is a rags to riches uh, program these past couple of years, a la Coastal Carolina. Uh, starting in 2020, but I think that this is going to be just like that team in 2020 for Coastal Carolina. They lost in the bowl game to a really good Liberty team, and I think that UTSA is going to suffer the same defeat. So I I agree with you that they're going to have to stop uh, Frank Harris. Um, It's – I don't know. When when you are holding the ball, I think the one key to this game is going to be – penalties utsa was penalized 90 times and they averaged almost 60 yards of penalties a game so if, if you had the fast pace option you know offense it's going to lead to higher penalties so troy has shown they can speed it up but they've shown they can slow it down as well so it's going to be close um, I think it's going to be close going into the fourth quarter, but I got to agree with you. I'm, I'm picking Troy. So, Troy, we are both picking the Trojans to defeat the Roadrunners. That game is happening tomorrow. We're recording this on Thursday. This game is 
kicking off at 3 p.m. on Friday, December 16th on ESPN in Orlando, Florida. Um, like you said, hey, that that's hey, a really why, why, why couldn't they have done that last year? That's a good question. I think we had a what did we have? We have a seven o'clock kickoff six. last year. Yeah, it was like it was like yeah, it was six o'clock because we had the pre-show at five. Oh well. Well, I, I personally or, enjoy I calling know. the night game a little bit more, but that game, 3 p.m. tomorrow on ESPN, uh, December 16th. We've both got Troy. So that brings us into this weekend, Saturday, December 17th. We've got Rice taking on Southern Miss. Now, we talked about Rice last week. They were the uh, the bowl team getting in uh, in eligibility based on APR. Um, they are a 5-7 and seven team going up against a 6-6 six and six Southern Miss team in the Lending Tree Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Kyle, I will pass it off to you. Absolutely. Well, this series is actually tied six games apiece. Rice is on a two-week winning, two-game winning streak in this series. Rice making their 13th bowl appearance, first bowl since 2014. They are seven and five overall. And they are 0-1 against current members of the Sun Belt in bowl games, losing to Troy in the 06 New Orleans Bowl. Southern Miss is 11 and 15. They are making their 27th bowl appearance. Currently on a two-game losing streak, they have not won since the 2016 New Orleans Bowl against Louisiana. They are 2-1 and one against current members of the Conference USA, L- uh, lost their last matchup to Middle Tennessee in the 2009 New Orleans Bowl. ESPN gives the edge quite favorably to Southern Miss 66%. Uh, but, I mean, I, I could see why because Rice is coming in uh, kind of, uh, you know, last second, last minute. Uh, they've lost their last three games and four out of the last five. Uh, TJ, what do you think about that? Well, I think that it's it's a very fair assessment. You know, we kind of broke down Rice last week when we were talking about, you know, who gets in Rice versus App State. Um, and like we said, their notable win is against Louisiana in week three. But we also found out that Louisiana was a six and six team. They had a down year. Um, you know who else beat Louisiana? Southern Miss. Who? Southern Miss defeated Louisiana. So that is a comparable game. Um, when you're looking at some of these games and some of these outcomes, I mean, they their their last three games uh, for Rice, um, Western Kentucky, UTSA, and North Texas. I mean, they got they they got blown out in the first two, and against North Texas on November 26th, it was a closer game. It was a uh, 21 to 17 loss. Uh, but this is. You know, I, I don't think, you know, I'm just going to make my prediction now. I, I really don't think that Rice stands up to Southern Miss. Will Hall is doing a great job over there in uh, Southern Mississippi. And I think that it's just going to be too much to handle. Frank Gore Jr. is going to have a field day with this defense, especially coming off of three straight uh, losses. And in all of those games combined, they gave up 107 points. So I am going to go with Southern Miss here, and I don't necessarily think it's going to be close. 
I, I agree with you with that. Here are two things you, uh, for each team to win. If Rice wants to win this game, uh, they're going to have to hold Southern Miss to under 155 yards rushing. I'm, Rice is 4-1 and one when a team gets 154 yards or less. They are 0-6 when they hit uh, more than 155. So for Rice, game plan, stop the run, only allow less than 155 yards. If they can do that, Rice has a shot. But on the other hand, uh, Rice is horrible at um, keeping the ball. They are tied with Northwestern for dead last in the nation for the most giveaways. So the Southern Miss defense might not be a rock, but good things do happen. But a team is 5-1 and one when it allows fewer than 150 y- yards rushing. Go ahead, TJ. And the one thing that I was going to say when you were done, but since you brought it up with takeaways, TJ McMahon, the quarterback for Rice, he's got 14 interceptions. He's got 18 touchdowns. They've got 19 interceptions as a team. In just 21 attempts, their third-string quarterback, Shockey Itrash, in just 21, or excuse me, 39 attempts, he completed 21, but of those 18 incompletions, three of them were picks. That is not a great stat line. And, and, and when you have three picks and no touchdowns, I mean, this is an offense that obviously has some work to do. And they've had a couple weeks to figure some stuff out. But if the passing game isn't working, you turn to your ground game. And Cameron Montgomery is the lead back for this Rice team with under 500 yards. So yeah, not- as, as a team, I'll say as a team, they barely have over 1,700 yards rushing for the season. And I mean, going up against a team that has a guy like Frank Gore Jr., who has picked apart teams in, in both the air and on the ground, uh, this is this is going to be tough for Rice. I so who who do you have in this one, Kyle? I want to I want to hear your pick. I I got Southern Miss. Um, I think. Rice is going to come out strong in the first quarter. They're going to prove that they're not just happy to be there. Then Southern Miss is going to wake up, realize that they're about to lose to a 5-7 and seven team, and they're going to put their foot down vehemently hard in their chest, and it's just going to be a runaway. So this prediction segment starting off pretty boring. We're both picking the Sunbelt team's in both of those matchups with uh, Troy and we're going with Southern Miss, which brings us to our third game on the docket Monday. Oh, hold on. Oh, sorry, DJ, D- did you tell them when this game was being played? I did not. I apologize. Uh, Saturday, December 17th, kickoff is at 5.45 p.m. on ESPN in Mobile, Alabama. Um you know, tune in. Obviously, uh, we're gonna need to uh, we're, we're gonna need to see what exactly happens in this game. But we both got Southern Miss um, in the Lending Tree Bowl. So now we're gonna go to Monday, December nineteenth, in a place where you and I are pretty familiar with, in the Myrtle Beach Bowl, 
in Conway, South Carolina, Brooks Stadium on the campus of Coastal Carolina. We've got the Marshall Thundering Herd taking on another team that I'm very familiar with, the University of Connecticut Huskies. Both teams uh, coming into this uh, game, or excuse me, not both teams. I, I can't read. Uh, Marshall coming into this game with an eight and four regular season. UConn six and six on the year, and UConn having a bit of a magical season this year. Their notable win is against Liberty, um, mm-hmm. where they actually beat Liberty in a really close contest, thirty six to thirty three, before dropping the final game of the year to Army. So, Kyle. I'll pass it off to you. Give us a little bit of insight on this matchup. So it's crazy that that game against Liberty got them ball eligible. And the only and I want you to think about this while I am am given the this uh, the ball matchup. How is Jim Mora Jr. not on every coach of the year list? Because prior to this year, they have won since 2015 10 games. Hadn't had a winning season since 2010. Didn't play in 2020 because of um, leaving the American and of COVID. And their 2019 victory over UMass was the lone win against an FBS team since the middle of the 2017 season. So I want you to think about that as, as I go through this. Marshall has won the only meeting, and this occurred in the 2015 St. Petersburg Bowl. Marshall they are making their 19th bowl appearance, 12 and 6 overall, currently on a three-game losing streak. This is their first bowl matchup against a team that is currently an independent. UConn 3 and 3, currently on a two-game bowl losing streak. Uh their only matchup against a current member of the Sun Belt was that 2015 St. Petersburg Bowl. ESPN's matchup predictor giving no love to the Huskies. Marshall has a 80% chance of winning this game. TJ, what you got? Well, to answer your question that you teed me up for, um, the reason I think that, that Jim Mora jr. Is not on the, uh, the coaching, uh, the coach of the year lists is um, they are six and six, you know, you, you, know, I, I think that what he's done this year, it's been fantastic. Um, it's been great for the school. Uh, I, I'm currently in Connecticut right now. I think that everyone seems a little bit happier right now, which is nice. Uh, but I mean, you got to look at these, uh, the, these wins. I mean, you, you got, uh, the, the heated rivalry of central Connecticut state university. Uh, that was a win 28 to three. Uh, they follow it up with three straight losses to Syracuse, Michigan and North Carolina state. Now, those are three good football teams this year, but Syracuse and North Carolina State, I want to take a look at in particular. Those are considered middle of the pack, top 25 teams. They, in in those three games, I'm not going to talk about Michigan because Michigan is Michigan. They got blown out 59 to nothing. Um, but in those three games, they gave up 148 points and they scored 24. And that that's tough. You know, if, if you... Um, you know, and, and we are talking about UConn. I, I'm not, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to say that UConn stands a chance against those three teams on any given year, but I will say for coach of the year's, uh, standpoints that that might be why. Okay. Yeah. See, it's, you know, you're talking about their schedule when you're an independent, you basically have 
the entire FBS to pick from. And when you're a team who just returned to being an independent in the 2021 season, you know, you, you have to take those guaranteed games like a Syracuse, a Michigan and NC state. They know they probably weren't going to win those games, but you beat Boston college, you beat Liberty, you beat uh, Fresno state. Uh, those are teams that are going bowling on uh, Boston college is not, but it's still an ACC team that they're feeding and a regional rivalry. Like in basketball, that's a big, big time game. So, I mean, yeah, I always a, that's love an old, that's an old big East rivalry too. Oh, I believe. exactly. It absolutely a bit, a big East rivalry game that would very easily be in the uh, finals of the big East tournament in Madison square garden. But um, I will, I will never knock a independent team for the schedule they have because they're an independent team. They don't have built in eight to nine conference games. Now, if UConn scheduled three games against or two or three games against FCS opponents, like what Appalachian State did, okay, I'll be more to open well open to question their schedule because you should not be scheduling more than one FCS opponent if you're at the FBS level. I'll keep that in mind the next time uh, we are going back and forth about my Fighting Irish. Um, so, well, oh, but here. <laughs> So here's the difference with Notre Dame. Notre Dame has always been a football independent sans 2020 because of uh, COVID restrictions and every conference going to conference only. But they have so many built-in rivalries that you literally, like they only have like one or two games a year that are, they, they kind of have to fill because, you have your rivalry of USC. You have your rivalry of Navy. Stanford. You have to play four to Stanford. You have to play your four to five ACC games. So right there, that's eight. That's eight, uh, seven to eight games that you have to fill the rest of rest of the schedule with. So I'm I, I don't put Notre Dame's on a different level when it comes to independence because they have those built-in rivalries. Teams like. Uh, uh, UConn, I won't say who's going to be left in uh, uh, independence. Uh, a team like UConn and UMass don't have those built-in rivalries, so they have to fill their schedule with more guaranteed games. Notre Dame is more um, about rivalries as we are going off on a tangent when we should be talking about Marshall versus UConn. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I agree with you on all fronts. I'm just busting your chops. Uh, <laughs> I think that – I think that Notre Dame should um, should should definitely uh, join uh, the Big Ten, but that's a conversation for not only a different day but a different podcast. Uh, let's go back to UConn versus Marshall. Um, we went over their wins, we went over their losses. I think that Liberty is obviously the notable win here. Uh, Boston College having a down year. I mean, it's a notable name. Um, but, you know, they, they beat UMass just like the rest of the NCAA. Uh, they beat FIU, same story. Um, so I think that this and, – and Central Connecticut State, I wasn't even aware they were D1. Um, but uh, – Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. But they, um, <laughs> they, they have 
six wins. They're bowl eligible. I don't think that they're going to stand a chance against Kalen Laburn and the Thundering Herd. I mean, Cam Fancher, dual threat quarterback, Kalen Laburn, one of, if not the best running back in the nation, in my opinion. He's got... He's got um, the uh, Robinson from Texas to beat out and a guy from Illinois as well. But uh, there's also a guy from Pitt that's pretty good. I'd put him in the top five, though, for sure. Um, He's an explosive back, and I think that UConn's going to have a tough time dealing with him. And then you've got um, a great uh, receiving core for Marshall. So I think that the magic of UConn ends here. And I think that Marshall is going to come away with this victory. And I've got those three first Sunbelt Bulls going to the Sunbelt Conference. Here is the key to the game. All right. Third down. UConn is 37.7% on third down conversions. Marshall is first in the nation in third down stops. So if UConn is to win this game, they have to convert on third down. Do I think that will happen? Maybe once, maybe twice, but not thrice. Marshall going to win. But I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think I, that's where I will disagree with you. I think that this is going to be a high-scoring game, but I think it's going to be one-sided. I think that Kalen Laburn's about to have his Heisman moment after the voting, uh, and he's um, he's going to go off for I, I'm I'm here's the bold prediction since we're both picking Marshall. The bold prediction is I think that Kalen Laburn's going to have three touchdowns. So there okay. it is. That's that's the prediction that we were all waiting for, obviously. Um, uh, obviously. Yeah, but that game kicks off at 2.30 p.m. on December 19th, this Monday, on ESPN, in Myrtle Beach, in Brooks Stadium, a place you and I are very fond of. Um, catch that game. Hold on. Technically, it's Conway. Technically, it's Conway. I apologize. I apologize. Uh, they're they're going to they're gonna be uh, beating a pinata of me at Tongi's tonight. Um, <laughs> hey, brings... hey, thank, hey, thank God I ha- already have it ready. I can just drive it up there. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, <laughs> so now we've got our fourth bowl game kicking off at 9 p.m. on Wednesday, December 21st. We've got Western Kentucky going up against the Jaguars of South Alabama in the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl uh, in the Superdome. So, coming into this game, Western Kentucky eight and five on the season. South Alabama with their magical ten win season. They're ten and two. Missed out on representing the West in the Sun Belt Conference Championship due to no fault of their own, other than Troy just won out as well. So this is. Uh, in my opinion, in my opinion, this is the uh, the third best team in the Sun Belt this year, uh, behind uh, James Madison and Troy. Um, and now we've got Western Kentucky. Break break this down a little bit for me, Kyle. Uh, we're gonna break it down. Uh, so South Alabama is one and zero, winning their only meeting in 2013. This is the Hilltoppers' 11th bowl appearance. 
They are seven and three overall and have alternated wins and losses in their last four games. One and two against current members of the Sun Belt, ending Appalachian State's uh, Appalachian State's undefeated bowl streak last year in Boca Raton. South Alabama looking for its first bowl victory. They are 0-2, first bowl appearance since 2016. ESPN's matchup ended a predictor, giving the edge to Western Kentucky, 58-7. This is a matchup that I think is definitely going to turn some heads when it comes to uh, offensive play. Um, both offenses are averaging over 424 yards a game. So, TJ, what you got? Well, what I've got here is Western Kentucky's got a really good quarterback in Austin Reed. He's got mm-hmm. 4,247 yards uh, and 36 touchdowns. He is responsible for 44 touchdowns. He's got another eight on the ground. Uh, and 199 yards on the season rushing. Um, you look over at the rest of the roster. I mean, their their leading rusher is uh, Kyle Robichaud. Uh He's got 496 total rushing yards on the season. And another 492 coming from Davion Irvin Poindexter um, in 107 attempts. He was their lead back uh, on this season in terms of carries. They each had three touchdowns. So this is this, that that tells me that this is a pass-oriented offense. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the uh, you look at Troy, or excuse me, not Troy. Um, you look at their schedule and look at their notable games that they play. We will start with Troy on October first. They lose that game. They're conference champions. You got UTSA. Um, they they have an eleven and uh, two season. They're conference champions. They lose. Uh, you've got North Texas, who lost to UTSA, but they won their division. They lost. In fact, they got blown out forty to thirteen. Uh, Auburn SEC team on the schedule on November nineteenth. They get blown out forty one to seventeen, and. The last game of the season, they actually won, but it was against Florida Atlantic, and it went to overtime, and they won by a single point. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. This is going to be a tough game for the Hilltoppers, who actually they beat uh, Troy last year, or excuse me, App State last year in the Boca Raton Bowl. Um, but this was that that was a much different team. This this is an eight and five Hilltoppers team going up against um, a a South Alabama team that has absolutely nothing to lose and absolutely everything to play for. Uh, this is the best season in the program history. This is you know South Alabama's campus is buzzing right now. They take a lot of pride in their football team success this year. Western Kentucky, I think, is going to have a really tough time with this game. What do, what do you think about this matchup? Well, you were talking about uh, Austin Reed for Western Kentucky. He is a veteran quarterback. Um, he was a um, he was a quarterback at West Florida at Division Two. West Florida is a strong power in Division Two before fitting in nicely Western Kentucky. Um, but it, it's not about just the just passing the ball. 
This offense runs well enough to mix it up. Um, it, it might have been a bumpy finish, and then I had a blowout loss to Auburn. Um, but the one thing that's really um, going to be interesting for this Hilltoppers team is their defense. They're the definition of high-risk, high-reward. Uh, it depends on what day it is. They are either uh, forcing a lot of fumbles and locking receivers down, or it is uh, open set uh, or it's open season in the in the secondary. So Western Kentucky is going to have to really like lock that in. If you look for South Alabama's, I mean, Ladamian Webb running for over a thousand yards and thirteen scores, Carter Bradley, uh, but you know, and and the Jaguars really didn't have too many problems surviving games against teams, uh, but they haven't been easy. So it, it's definitely going to be. And, and you look at South Alabama; they've only allowed nineteen point four points per game. Western Kentucky scored 36.1 points per game. So this this is going to be one of those things where defenses are going to have to step up and they're really going to have to play in, at, at a high level. And also, don't get Western Kentucky in fourth down. They're 42, almost 42% in converting fourth down conversions. Yeah, you were talking about that defense. 17 interceptions on the season for the Hilltoppers defense, 13 fumble recoveries. They actually recovered every single fumble they forced this year. That is a huge stat. So like you said, they this is a really good defense, and I think I, I've been saying it uh, these past couple weeks, I think that South Alabama is one of the most explosive offenses in the Sun Belt. So – now that we have broken it down and introduced the Hilltoppers to the conversation, Kyle, who do you have winning this game? So my question is going to be how upset is South Alabama for not making the championship game? And how do they use that as motivation to win their ball game? Um, I, it's, it's, it's going to be an offensive show. I think both teams are really going to really just run over the field, but something tells me that Western Kentucky is going to beat South Alabama. South Alabama has not won a ball game. Western Kentucky ended Appalachian state's bowl undefeated streak last year so i'm going western kentucky well let's take a look at south alabama's wins on the year they're 10 and 2 they've got a lot of them their only two losses are well let's start with losses ucla where they lost by one point and the eventual sunbelt conference champion trojans 10 to 6 they lost those are their two notable games on the season. Um, but look at the defenses in the Sun Belt that they've beaten. They, uh, they scored 41 points on the ULM defense, which is a really good run-stopping defense. They scored 41 points on them. Uh, Georgia Southern, they scored 38 points. 
They scored 38 points on Texas State, 27 points on Southern Miss, Old Dominion, 27 points. And in all of those games, they won by right around, you know, except for the Texas State game, they won by less than 10 points. So that is something to take into consideration for the Jaguars. I just think that this is a really good South Alabama team. They're not they're they're going to leave everything on the field. They've got 10 wins. They're looking for 11. They're looking for their first ever bowl victory. And we saw what happened in that second half last year when Coastal Carolina was trying to get their first bowl win. They went into halftime trailing and then they really turned it on in the in the second half. And I think that we're going to see a very similar, um, a very similar progression of the game. I think that they're going to trail going into halftime, and then they're going to turn up on Western Kentucky, and South Alabama is going to get their first bowl win. All right, so we finally disagree. Okay, it only took four, it only took uh, four bowl games, but that's all right. Hey, that's uh, that's sometimes what it takes. But I am sticking Sunbelt so far. Um, in my uh, in my predictions, and I think that you know these these first four matchups, those are going to be the tighter contested games mm-hmm. um, in in this uh, in this bowl season. I think that all of these matchups are really good, but I think that those four in particular are really good matchups. UTSA and Troy being two really good teams going at it, and then I think it's um, you know uh, Southern Miss. Marshall and South Alabama, I think getting the upper hand in the bowl selection uh, process. Um, so all in all great matchups in those four, in those first four, which brings us to our number five, uh, hold on nine o'clock PM kickoff for the new Orleans bowl in the Superdome on ESPN on Wednesday, December 21st. Keep forgetting to say that, but now we move to Friday, December 23rd, our last game before Christmas uh, in this uh, bowl season for the Sun Belt. We've got the Louisiana Raging Cajuns going up against the University of Houston. Louisiana coming into the game 6-6, six and six. Houston coming in 7-5. and five. This is the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl taking place in Shreveport, Louisiana, so not a far drive for the Raging Cajuns. 3 o'clock kickoff on ESPN. Give me a breakdown, Kyle. Absolutely. Uh, Houston leads the series six games to three, but in their last meeting, Louisiana won to break a six-game losing streak. Overall, in the bowl games, Louisiana making their eighth bowl appearance, five and two overall. They're on a four three-game bowl winning streak. Their last loss was in the Cure Bowl to Tulane, and they are currently two and one against current members of the American Conference. Houston, they are making their I want to make sure to do my math correctly, 30th bowl appearance, 12-16 and one. Here's an interesting stat. Since making the 2015 Peach Bowl. As the group of five representative, Houston is one in four in bowl games. This is the first time they are meeting a member of the Sun Belt in a bowl game. Uh, ESPN matchup predictor 
they're giving Houston the edge a 65% chance to win this game. Um, but I'll say this, you know, Louisiana um, started with Ben Wooldridge at quarterback, but he had a sen- season-ending injury. Uh, Chandler Fields has really picked up uh, the slack for the Raging Cajun. Yes, he has. And now we'll take a look at Houston's roster, starting with their quarterback. We've got Clayton Toon. He's got 3,845 passing yards on the season to go along with 37 touchdowns in the air. You can add another five to that for responsible four. So he's got 42 total touchdowns on the season, 10 interceptions, which is not the best, but when you look at the amount of attempts and you look at his completion percentage, it evens out because this is a pass oriented offense in Houston yet again. Um, the Cougars, they only rushed as a team for just over 1,700 yards. So very similar to the, uh, the, the Hilltoppers that we were talking about last uh, in, in the last matchup. Um, looking at the receivers on this team, they've got one 1,000-yard receiver in Nathaniel Dell, thir- well, just over 1,300 yards and 15 touchdowns, by far receiver number one, uh, because the next place uh, on that receiving core is Matthew Golden, who in 36 receptions turned that into 567 yards. So when you look at efficiency, Nathaniel Dell is actually beaten out by Golden. So those, you know, I think that Nathaniel Dell is really going to show in this game that he is the sure-handed receiver. He's the guy that you roll out and you're in some trouble and you just toss it to your, your number one guy and he'll make the catch for you and he'll turn nothing into something. Um, but this is a team that those unsung heroes, the second string on in the receiving core, those guys are the, uh, the guys that make the difference. They break out for those big plays. So now we'll look at their schedule really quick. Did you have something you wanted to say, Kyle? Uh, I was going to say, as far as uh, Houston goes, as great as their offense is, their defense, um, they give up 35, 33.5 points per game, tying them for 117 in FBS. Their passing defense ranks 126, allowing 286 yards a game. So what's what's really going to be the key for um, Louisiana, uh, for Houston, excuse me, is they're going to have to outscore Louisiana. Because they're not going to be able to stop Louisiana. They just got to score more points. I know that sounds simple and kind of like, kind of like a cop out, but that that's legitimately, you know, my opinion. They're going to they ain't going to be able to stop Louisiana's offense. They're just going to have to outscore them. Yeah, no, I I think that that's 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 very reasonable. I mean, you know, they, we're we're talking about this is a potential shootout in the making. Uh, between two pretty talented offenses. But let's take a look at Houston's schedule. Their notable win was the first game of the season against now number 25-ranked UTSA. They won in triple overtime 37-35. to That is their notable win. 
But then you look at the notable games that they've played and they've lost every single one of them. They lost in double overtime to Texas Tech in the following week. The week after that, in week three, they lost to Kansas. Two weeks later, they lose to Tulane. They lose to um, Tulsa to end the season. So now you look at their wins, and I mean, they, they beat Memphis. They beat Navy. They beat South Florida, which South Florida is a, is a pretty good win for them. But that's just about it. You know, Rice is on there. Uh, East Carolina's on there, which we'll talk about East Carolina later. But this isn't a this isn't an extremely strong schedule for the Cougars and the games that they needed to win. They didn't looking at Louisiana. On the other hand, I mean, they went from powerhouse to middle towards the bottom of the Sunbelt West. Um, They, they lose to rice. They lose to ULM in the in-state rivalry. They lose to South Alabama. They lose to Southern miss to Troy and to number 19, Florida state, but I won't talk about that loss as much. This is, I think going to be, as you said, a shootout, but I am going to give the edge to Houston here. I think that this, this passing offense of Houston is going to be too much to handle. I think that they're going to um, give up too many points. Uh, The, the Louisiana uh, defense is going to give up too many points to, um, to to uh, to Houston here, um, you know the one thing I got to point to. You want to talk about giving up points in this uh, in this Louisiana defense? Um, they gave up 21 points to uh, ULM. Uh, they gave up three touchdowns to them, and uh, that ended up being the difference. They they lost by four points in an in-state rivalry game, and ULM's offense was not great. In, in the uh, in this season it was their defense that I was raving about so this is gonna be a tough game for Louisiana I think that Houston pulls it out actually I, I have to agree with you I think you know as I said earlier I don't think Louisiana can outscore Houston uh, but as I'm, I'm looking up and down their stats here's here's one thing that really caught caught my mind uh, um what is one thing that Coastal Carolina has really been good at when it comes to certain downs? They've really been good at going for on a fourth down, right? Right. Okay. Houston's better. Houston has gone for it 22 times on fourth down, converting 15 for 68.2%. Coastal is only 60. So... This is a team that really gambles on. Uh, it's very selective when it goes for fourth down, but they're very hard to stop on fourth down. I I can see them going for it at least once or twice in this game, but once again, it Houston's going to outscore Louisiana. It's it's going to be. I think they need to change the rules of this game to first to fifty wins. Yeah, I think that this is this is going to be a shootout. Um, so, who did you pick? Did you pick Houston? I did. I, I okay. picked Houston. So, so we've both got Houston. Our this is my first uh, game going against the Sun Belt. Um, but I will say that if uh, Louisiana can 
put some passes together and mix it up. And, you know, it sounds like uh, it, it sounds really simple, as you said. Um, but if they can put some points on the board and, and keep up with Houston, I think they've got a shot. But this is another one of those defenses need not apply uh, games. But that game kicks off at 3 p.m. on December 23rd. The Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. Tune in for that game. And then we've got a weekend in between that game and our next game that we'll be talking about. Georgia Southern, who became bowl eligible in the deeper than hate game to finish the regular season against App State. They go up against another six and six team, the Bulls of Buffalo at 12 p.m. on ESPN, December 27th in the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama. Give me a breakdown, Kyle. So I'm actually going to give give a little um, interesting stat after I do the breakdown. This is the first time these two teams have ever met. Uh, Georgia Southern making their fifth bowl appearance, first since 2020. They were 2-0 against current members of the MAC Conference. Buffalo, on a two-game bowl winning streak, will be participating in their sixth bowl game, 1-1 one one against current members of the Sun Belt. Interesting historical fact, Buffalo would have appeared in a sixth bowl prior to this, but they declined a chance to play Florida State in the 1958 Tangerine Bowl due to Florida's segregation laws that would have made the team's two black players ineligible to play. Uh, ESPN matchup predictor, Georgia Southern, they're given a little, little edge, 57%. And if Georgia Southern really wants to know, TJ, uh, all about that Buffalo offense, you know who you know who they can ask. Uh, they can ask their quarterback, which that's exactly that's a perfect segue into what I was about to talk about. Kyle Van Treese, the former Buffalo quarterback, he is now on Georgia Southern, going up against his previous team in the Camellia Bowl. The replacement in Buffalo is Cole Snyder, who had an average year, about a little above average year, two thousand seven hundred sixty-five passing yards, 17 touchdowns. He did have eight interceptions, but it was the rushing that makes Cole Snyder a problem because he had another four touchdowns on the ground and 140 yards on the season on 106 attempts. He was sacked 30 times. The offensive line not protecting their quarterback, and that's going to be an issue Georgia Georgia Southern, known for their offense, but their defense comes up big when they are needed. So that is going to be a key matchup to look at in this game is that front four going up against the Buffalo offensive line. This is another one of those games where it's a pass-oriented offense, but we knew that about Buffalo. Uh, Mike Washington, running back for Buffalo, he leads the team with 606 yards on the ground, another 600 Coming from Ron Cook Jr., um, he had the the two combined for eleven touchdowns on the season. They actually have twenty one touchdowns on the ground to the seventeen in the air for Buffalo. So, Kyle, 
what stands out to you about this matchup? Two six and six teams going at it. So you, you have a Georgia Southern team whose new identity is not triple option. You have a Buffalo team that is, I mean, they they gave Coastal problems when they traveled to Conway earlier in the year. Um. I don't know. I, I think a player to watch for Buffalo, obviously Cole Snyder, um, but you're you're go, it's really going to be the 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 player or players to watch is going to be that Buffalo offensive line because if that offensive line plays that they have played the previous twelve games, uh, you have a linebacker named Marquise Watson Trent for Georgia Southern. Redshirt sophomore leads the team with 105 total tackles, uh, and he has had five games of 10 plus tackles, including a 16 tackle performance against South Alabama. So, if that offensive line is as Swiss cheese as has been the entire offense uh, season, uh, that Georgia Southern defense is going to set up camp in the backfield. They're going to start a bonfire. They're going to roast marshmallows, and they're going to tell ghost stories. And in the in between stories, they're going to sack the quarterback. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think that this uh, this Buffalo offensive line is going to be the difference in this game. If Cole Snyder has an opportunity to make plays, I mean, he is he's known to do so. He's got seventeen touchdowns, but it's just that this season he hasn't had much of an opportunity to 30 times Mm -hmm. he's been sacked. That's the story going into this game. Uh, Looking at the Buffalo defense this year, they have given up 29 points per game. They've given up 41 total touchdowns. They have scored 34 touchdowns. So this is a relatively even team. The offense does just about as much as the defense doesn't. Right. Mm-hmm. So something to watch there. I'm going to make my prediction right now. I think that if Georgia Southern, if, if Clay Helton has, has seen what we've seen and he knows that that offensive line is going to be a problem, he's going to be drilling his defensive linemen. He's going to be telling them that these guys have trouble protecting their quarterback. It's not the defense for Buffalo that they have to worry about. I think that Van Treese has it covered. I think that this is going to be a big game for Van Treese in his collegiate finale, and I think that Georgia Southern's going to come away with a bowl victory. So I, I agree with you. I believe that Georgia Southern is going to win. But here is a, you know, and looking at their stats, here's something that's, that is just is mind-boggling. And you, you – you know how often that some stats get get me mind boggled. Yeah. Um, so on third down, Buffalo only converts thirty seven percent of the time. So they're horrible at getting converting on third down, but they're sixty one percent on fourth down. How? How in the world does that make sense where you're horrible at picking up a first down on third, but you can pick it up on fourth? Like, you know, I, 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 I've I, seen the fourth down number be higher, but normally it's about 
five, six percent. Well, they must be queen fans. They must perform better under pressure. <laughs> oh, got him. There you go. I'm trying to take your spot for uh, the pun. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, I, I'm pretty proud. Uh, yeah, I, I you were learning well, Grasshopper. I think that's the second time you've told me that in this in this podcast. <laughs> okay, well, don't don't learn too well, okay? Otherwise, I'll be out of a job. I'll try. <laughs> okay, but we have one more ball left to go. Well, you didn't make your pick. Yeah, I did. I made it at the beginning. I said Georgia Southern's going to win. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Well, you. You you were too busy thinking of that pun yeah, to pay attention to me picking the game. That's true. Okay. See, we, we like I both. said, you, you still have. To... <laughs> oh Lord, we're both picking He's... Georgia Southern. That game kicks off at noon on December twenty seventh on ESPN. All of these games are on ESPN, by the way. Um, we're both picking Georgia Southern to win the twenty twenty two Camellia Bowl, which brings us to. Our final game, the final game that will be played on the same day, it's going to be East Carolina versus Coastal Carolina. Battle for the Carolinas. That game kicks off later that day at 645 on ESPN. Coastal going into that game 9-3. and three. East Carolina going into that game 7-5. and five. Kyle, give me a breakdown. So this is the first time these two teams have matched up. This is Coastal's third bowl appearance. First meeting against a member of the American Coastal is famously one and one both games in the Cure Bowl against Liberty. East Carolina is going to be in their 21st bowl game. They would have participated in last year's military bowl, but due to COVID protocols within Boston College's program. That game was canceled. Uh, ECU currently 0-2 against current members of the Sun Belt, famous for losing to Marshall in the 2001 GMAC Bowl. It went to double overtime, 64-61. Defenses left after the first quarter. And ECU is, according to the ESPN matchup projector, uh, 64.5% on ECU side. But, TJ, let me tee you up with this. Coastal, it's been a tumultuous couple of weeks. Jamie Chadwell no longer the coach. Uh, coach Staggs will be the interim coach for the ball game. Grayson McCall has in, entered the transfer portal but will play in this ball game. Um, the backup quarterback, uh, Bryce Carpenter, will not be eligible to play in this game. He is currently suspended from all football-related activities due to some legal issues, which we will not get into. Um, so you already have a thin quarterback room and with a quarterback who's playing his last game and still coming off of an injury. What, what, what information do you got on this? Yeah, it's been a rough couple of games uh a rough well weeks it's been a rough couple of weeks for for coastal carolina um like you said with with all of the uh the stories coming out um a big factor in this game for coastal is going to be whether or not josiah stewart suits up uh he has entered the transfer portal 
Um, he will, uh, he's, he's receiving offers from a lot of top programs, including university of Southern California, USC. Uh, he's got, uh, Michigan. I saw, and I saw that he had North Carolina as well. Um, so he's got a lot of thinking to do, but what he needs to think about first is whether or not he's going to play in this bowl game, which I think for his stock in terms of offers, I think it's in his best interest, but we'll see what he decides to do. Um, He did not make it clear like Grayson McCall did that he was going to be playing in this game. And that's 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 exactly what I was getting ready to say. Yeah, that's that's the big question mark on a coastal defense that is already pretty thin and struggling already. So we're going to pivot a little bit and we're going to talk about East Carolina. To start the season, they lost to number 13 NC State, but that was a one-point game. One-point game, 21-20. to 20, NC State pulled out the victory. They went on to defeat Old Dominion, Campbell, South Florida later in the season, Memphis, UCF, BYU, and Temple. Those are their uh, seven wins on the season, and they're seven pretty good wins. Um, they lost to Tulane, they lost to Cincinnati, and they lost to Houston, which those are three really good programs. <sighs> Taking a look at some of the statistical leaders for the East Carolina Pirates, Holton Allers, the quarterback with 3,408 passing yards, he's got 23 touchdowns and only five interceptions, a great season for uh, Allers there. And that goes along with their one-two punch of Keaton Mitchell running back thir- uh, 1,325 rushing yards on the ground, 13 touchdowns. That is a really good one-two punch there. They also have a thousand yard receiver in Isaiah Winstead, who just crossed the mark in their last game, 1,013 yards. Uh, Kyle, what can you tell me about the East Carolina defense. So this is a defense led by Malik Fleming, but this defense has struggled with uh, struggled at times and would be even worse without Fleming uh, after picking off three passes and totaling for 20, uh, 41 tackles. This is a defense that is allowed 35, almost 3,600 passing yards, most in the American and it's it's a defense that really struggles at times. Uh, it's really the offense that's carrying this team. So I I don't know. Like as far as you know, a defense go. Uh, like they are led tackles wise by Julius Wood. He is a junior out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Eighty two tackles, and they're leading. Uh, Fleming leads the team with both only three interceptions. They had on the season only eleven interceptions on the for this defense. So, and I believe they are not. They they have a plus nine turnover ratio. So they're getting turnovers, but are they converting them? That's the question. And that is the question. Um, I think personally that this is going to be a shootout, another shootout in these seven games. Um, and I think this one's going to be the best one. Um, you know, you got Grayson McCall who doesn't have as many passing yards as Allers, but 
He's got less picks and more touchdowns. This is the, you know, Grayson McCall, the epitome of efficiency at the quarterback position. Uh, you've got uh, some great rushers for both uh, for both squads. You've got great receiving cores for both squads. This is another one of those defenses need not apply games. It's going to be a shootout. It's going to be high scoring. I'm predicting over 100 points total in the game. Um, now, Kyle, who do you think wins this game? Because ESPN has ECU winning this game by 64.5%. And every pub, every website I've seen has basically been a consensus on e- ECU. Um, because of, as we said at the very beginning, this is, this is Grayson's last game. So we're in his, in his last game he played, he didn't play that well. The defense locked him up. This is a defense that allows passing yards, but they can intercept the ball. If Josiah Stewart plays, actually, I, I think it'd be best if he doesn't play because if he does, it's going to be a distraction. In all honesty, Grayson McCall is not going to be a distraction because he's already in his statement. He said, "Conway is my home, but I am looking. I'm I'm looking for the next opportunity." If you read both of those statements and you tell me which one has endured himself to Conway, even though they're leaving. With all that being said, all that being said. As much as I want to see Coastal Carolina defeat East East Carolina and those Pirate fans get all upset and whatnot, you have an interim coach who's a defensive coach and so much turmoil going on with that team. It's going to be close in the first half, but I think ECU is going to uh, walk away with this in the second half. They will defeat Coastal Carolina and send us into the Beck era. So, final game that we get to predict for the football season, uh, unless we do um, the college football playoff, which, you know, that's still up in the air. Um, last Sunbelt game we get to predict. Yeah, we, 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 we might do that one for fun, but it won't count towards predictions. Yeah, I, I, that's fair. East Carolina, great offense, mediocre defense. Coastal Carolina, great offense, pretty terrible defense uh, these past uh, this past year as, as opposed to years past. Um, like I said, it's going to be a shootout. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored between both teams. But I want to bring up something, an intangible, that nobody's thinking about. I I guarantee you. Grayson McCall was not cleared to play in the championship game until that morning. He was not participating in football activities. What he did on his own time, staying up and staying in shape is is on him. But he, for all intents and purposes, walked into that game without getting a whole lot of game reps, if any at all. And you saw what happened in the second half of that game. 
he made it a closer game. When he started to see it, he started to get back into it. He made things happen. Mm-hmm. This is an East Carolina team that doesn't get a whole lot of turnovers, and this is a quarterback that barely gives up any. Grayson McCall is going to be the difference maker in this game. I think he's going to pick apart that defense. I think if Coastal's off uh, defense can at least keep the Pirates at bay, they've got a shot. I've got Coastal in a close one. Okay. I mean, honestly, I, I can see Coastal winning it. Um, but this is the first time that you really have like this kind of turmoil uh, at, at with the Coastal program. There's so much uncertainty with the program. And to be honest, this kind of uncertainty has doomed greater programs in Coastal. So I, I knew I about- forgot. I knew I forgot to say something and you reminded me of it. Um, there have been reports all year that Grayson McCall and Jamie Chadwell were buttonheads. There, there's been reports all year. They haven't really made it to the mainstream media, but I've got sources on campus that tell me that Grayson McCall and Jamie Chadwell weren't really seeing eye to eye towards the middle of the season. I don't think that it's going to lead to a bad relationship, but what I will say is that Grayson McCall based on his letter to the fans saying that he was entering the transfer portal is a little ticked off that Chadwell left when he did. He said that he is playing in the last game. He made sure that he, he made sure that he said that he's playing in this last game. He's not leaving earlier than the bowl game. He's finishing his season. I have a feeling that this locker room is going to be on a mission. I, I really do think, and and Grayson McCall in particular, this is a guy who could have he he could have not played in the championship game. He could have not played in the bowl game. Healed up and went to the Power Five next year, mm-hmm. but he wants to play. Grayson McCall, right. if nothing else, is a gamer. Oh, he, I, absolutely. We we have we have never said anything to the contrary on the show. You know, yeah. we have, and and even and even. When we were with WCC Radio, we, we even said that, even though we were at that time, we're kind of biased because we're, you know, yeah. with Coastal. But, but you know, some, some we, could argue we, that we we're knew. pretty biased on this show. But I, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we try not you know, to. We be. have picked against, we try not to, but at least we're upfront and honest about it. At least we say, hey, we graduated from Coastal. We're not, we're not going to sit here. And be 100% biased and go. Well, where do you go to school? It doesn't matter. Just we just like coastal because their field's pretty. But <laughs> I mean, I, I um, actually, I was talking to a guy from Boise State, a a, uh, a um, someone who worked with Boise State uh, during the uh, Myrtle Beach Invitational for basketball. Did you know? That you know, they were the first team to have like the colored field. Yes, I did, um, and, and also and um, the, uh, the teal turf. Uh, Coastal has to pay royalties to Boise State do. in order to have it. Is that where you were going they with do. that? That's exactly where I was going with it because he told me that, and I went, "That's interesting." Because just think, just think of the schools like Eastern Washington, and uh, I think uh, I think Eastern Michigan has like a gray field. And then Coastal Kansas with the has a blue field. Yeah. They do? 
I believe so. I, oh no, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't. I'm, I'm thinking about. Um, I'm thinking about a video that I saw with uh, with the Kansas player was laying down in the end zone. They have blue end zones. My bad. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that, yeah, that, that's, that's one yeah. thing. But yeah, but yeah, no. I mean, I honestly, that was the smartest thing that Boise State ever did because they were the first to do it. Trademark it if you, it, you know, if you want to put any color on your field other than the end zone and logos. You gotta get out. You gotta pay us. So you know, that 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 smart business decision. Well, bold yeah. predictions and a colors history lesson from Kyle Nashheim himself, <laughs> the Nash of Sully and Nash. But that's all we've got. Coastal East Carolina. They kick off at six forty-five on December twenty-seventh in the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl in Birmingham, Alabama. Tune into that game. That's all seven. Uh, of the bowl games that we've got. And that is all we've got in this episode. So. Absolutely. I do want to say one more thing uh, before you, you send us off. And I just want to make this very quick. Um, me personally, lost a close friend of mine and uh, we, and we love talking football, NFL and college. Um, so Tom, miss you. I know you're, you're looking down on us and you're probably, complaining that the Cowboys are going to find a way to choke in the playoffs this year as usual, but, you know, that's what you get for being a Cowboys fan. Tom, it was great to know you. Well, this episode, uh, yeah, let's let's go ahead and dedicate this episode to Tom. Um, he was a, a very good friend of, of, of Kyle's, and uh, I was a member of a fantasy football league with him, I still am, and he's still, uh, he's still winning games. Um, winning great, but, winning games from the grave it's, without changing his lineup too. That was, that's still funny. I think he beat me. He beat me in the he last. He did. Yeah, he did. Which I'm, I'm a little upset about. But um, we miss you, Tom. This episode's dedicated to you. Kickoff for Sun Belt Bowl season starts tomorrow, Friday at 3 p.m. for Troy UTSA, and then we've got a lot of games going through the 27th that's all we've got here on under the sun for this week next week we'll dive a little bit farther into basketball and we're going to go over some of these games that have been played already but for now my name's tj that's kyle and this is under the sun happy bowl season we'll see you next week